The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Why don't you take your Bibles with me tonight, if you would please, and turn to Psalm 11. Let's look at Psalm 11 together. I was actually going to preach a different message tonight. I was going to preach a message entitled, You Are Being Watched. And I'll probably preach that one next time I fill in for pastor. But we were reading the scripture the other day, and, and when this question came up in verse number 3 of chapter 11, it just I just decided I have to, I have to speak about that. So let's look at Psalm 11, beginning at verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempests, this shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. We thank you, Lord, for your word and the power of your word and the truth of your word. And I pray tonight, Lord, that as we expound upon these scriptures and as we teach this lesson tonight, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, instruct us and guide us into all truth. Thank you for these things. Thank you for all that are here. We ask you to bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. I could stand here tonight and and I could have brought with me different articles and to read about recent decisions made concerning things in our nation, such as prayer and, and the Bible and government buildings and not the, how that they're not allowed there and they have the, the 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 wicked say they have no place in those in those areas. We could talk about decisions made over the years, banning prayer and the Bible from our public schools. And, of course, we can clearly see the result of that now in this generation some, uh, some 60 years later. Um, we can see the result of, of all of those changes in our public school system, banning prayer in the Bible. We could read the decision made by the Ninth District Court over the over the recent change, our decision concerning gay marriage and, 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 and all these things. We could stand here tonight. We could talk about all of that. We could, we could read decisions and papers and things um, about abortions and the, the, the horrendous and hideous act of murdering unborn children and babies. But all of this, all of these things should not be any surprise to us. Sometimes we react in America like, like, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Well, of course we know it's going to happen. The Lord has told us all these things were going to take place. The Lord has, 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 has instructed us and told us about the decay of this world. We should not be shaken by these things. Certainly, they, certainly they, they, they're appalling to us, and they, they may cause us to, to, to be sad and, and to, to be despondent somewhat because of... of, of the impact they have on children and young lives and future generations. But we, sh- we shouldn't be shaken up by those things and, 
and, and as God's children, we should, we should understand these things are going to take place. For the Lord has told us that they would. The thing that should shake us up tonight is the thing, unfortunately, that usually doesn't shake us up. The thing that should shake us up is the rapid decay and destruction of the spiritual foundation of God's people in America. This is the thing that should be disturbing to you and I tonight. Those of us who who love God and, and who are striving to live our lives to his glory, to his honor, those things should shake us up. The fact that God's people embrace uh, practices and habits, going to filthy, dirty movies, involving themselves in, 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 in social networking and, and different things that use profanity and, and, and degrade and demoralize uh, women and children and, and things such as this is what should upset us tonight. This is what should cause us to take note as God's children. If the foundations be destroyed, that's the foundations that the Bible is talking about here. The Bible is not talking about the foundations of government. It's talking about the foundations of the people of God. Our lives are to be built upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And his righteousness alone. Yet we embrace so many things today across our nation as God's people. We have, we have failed him in so many areas. More and more we see churches across America today, Baptist churches, by the way, compromising and, and changing their doctrines, ordaining women preachers, questioning the infallibility of the word of God. There are fewer and fewer good seminaries still left in this country to, to properly train and instruct young men in, in, in the ministry. Most have long since gone the way of Balaam and have compromised their, their positions and their standards so that, so that they can attract crowds. You know, someone once, once told me concerning some, some churches, how big a, a crowd they have, and, you know, and they told me, said, you know, when you get that many people together, something good has to be taking place. I said, really? I know, I know rock stars out there that can fill football stadiums. Does that mean that what they're doing is beneficial to, and, and, and is glorifying God? Listen, don't be fooled by crowds. The devil can draw some big crowds. So we got to make sure we understand this. I'd rather, I'd rather run a seminary and teach 10 men who love God than teach 10,000 men who, who will go out and, and preach a false gospel. However, unless, we, unless t- less tonight that we sitting in these pews begin to think as Elijah did, begin to think that there's nobody left out there, that we're, we're all alone, we're the only ones. I, I refer to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 13 and 14, where we see, and, and it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And Elijah stood there and, 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 and erroneously thought that he was the last man left who, who loved God and the last man left who cared about God. Sometimes we get to feeling that way. Sometimes we might, we might stand up and, and look out at the, at the world and we may say, you know, 
we're the only ones trying to do right. We're the only ones trying to, to uphold the Lord's will in our lives. And, and, but we must remember, I want you to remember for a second what God told Elijah that day. In verse 18, just four verses later, after Elijah complained and claimed that he was the only one left, we read, Yet, in 1 Kings 19:18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Elijah thought he stood alone. However, the Lord had his people ready. Tonight, it would be real easy for us sitting here in this church to start believing the same thing, that we're all alone. So how can we stand in this nation against so many? Parents, you may, you may be raising children, and sometimes you may get the idea that, you know what? How am I ever going to raise my children the right way? How am I ever going to get them uh, to, to grow up to love God in this world? Because, because I'm the only one left trying to do it. No, you know, we're not alone. Remember that. We're not alone. God, God has given us so many to stand with us. But in our text verse tonight, there was a question asked in Psalm 11.3. If the foundations be destroyed. Now, again, we're talking here about the spiritual foundations of God's people. And certainly, I think we can all agree across America, the majority of people who claim to, to be believers, uh, they have no spiritual foundation in their lives. So if the foundation is destroyed, then what can the righteous do? How can, we, how can we possibly serve in this church? How can we at Berean Baptist Church impact our community? How can we have an impact in this world? How can we raise our children? How can we do all these things if, if the foundations are so, so wretched in this country? Well, I want to share some thoughts with you tonight. And I believe, I believe that, that these are very simple things for us to do. That will cause us, that will cause us to shore up our foundation and serve the Lord in this area and, and make a difference for Christ in Ronan Park. Number one, we're to watch and be ready. What can the righteous do? First of all, we can watch. And by watch, I mean pray. Watch and be ready. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44, we read, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know, if I'm sitting at home and if, if I get a phone call and the guy on the other end says, Hello there, Mr. Epshire, uh, you don't know me, but I'm going to rob your house tonight. Now, I'm going to be there between 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So... Make sure you leave your window unlocked for me, okay? Well, guess what? I'm going to be ready for him, right? I'm going to get a baseball bat, and I'm going to sit by the window. And I'm going to say, okay, 8 o'clock, I'm going to sit there, and I'm not going to budge till 10. Unless he's a dishonest thief and is going to come when he didn't tell me. That's what Jesus is saying. If, if the man of the house, if he knew what watch of the night he would be, the burglar would come, the thief would come, he'd be, pre- he'd be prepared, he'd be ready for him. He'd make sure that thief and that burglar didn't come. But that's what he said. Be ready. Because in such an hour as this, such an hour as you think not, that's when Jesus is going to come. Now, now I knew, I knew that every day my daddy would get home between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. You know, depending on traffic, somewhere between 4.30 and 5, I knew every day my daddy was coming home. 
Now, knowing this caused me to prepare for his arrival. I would make sure that all of my chores were done. And I would make sure to touch bases with mom and make sure that I was not in trouble for some misdeed I had done that day. If there was some misdeed done that mom would tell dad, I wanted to get it fixed before dad got home. Because I wanted to make sure that I was ready for when daddy came. Now, my knowledge of when daddy would return gave me the advantage to be prepared for his arrival. But this is not so concerning the return of Christ at the rapture of the church. We don't know when he's coming again. We know he's coming, and that is sure, and in that we can have faith and confidence, but we know not when. It could be tomorrow, it could be next month, it could be next year, it could be before I finish this message tonight. We do not know when the Lord is coming, but one thing is for sure. We need to be ready. Amen? We need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Now, Jesus stated in verse 44, In such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. What kind of hour is this? What kind of hour could we identify as an hour that you think not? Well, I think one thing is letter A, when we become too involved in the cares of this world. As God's children, we have to be careful not to become too involved in the cares of this world. Now, I'm not saying be careless. Many years ago, I, I took, I, I, we used to bring our school children back in Louisiana. We'd bring them to a local park for PE time and for recreation time. And so one, one afternoon, I walked the children down the street to the park. And as they were playing, I, I spotted a guy, a man sitting out in, in, the, in, the, in the park. And I approached him, and as I got closer, I recognized him. I knew him from high school. He was a friend of mine. And he was sitting there reading a Bible. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm waiting for the Lord to come. I said, you doing what? He said, yeah. He said, I just, I just come out here every day, and I sit here, and I'm waiting for the Lord to come. I said, well, don't you, don't you work? No, man, I, don't, I come out here and wait for the Lord to come. Well, that's not, that's not, we, we don't want to be too involved in the cares of this world, but we want to be a little more involved in the cares of this world than that. Okay. I mean, we do need to, we do need to be concerned about the things in, within our home and in our families' lives and, and all these things, but we need to keep them in perspective. We need to have the right priorities. People come to me and they say, well, what do, you, what, what do you do? I tell them, I'm a child of, I'm a child of God. I, I serve in my local church. Oh, what do you do to make a living? Oh, well, whatever it is, that's not what I am. That's not how I'm identified. I'm a child of God. I'm a servant of the Lord. And that needs to be the focus of our lives. Now, you have a job. You need to, the Bible is very clear that you need to go out and work on that job and give it everything you got and be the best employee you can be. No doubt about it. But is that to be the center of your life? Is that the focus of your life? Is that what should compel your heart and mind? Is that what should occupy every waking moment of your life is, is your job? No, we are to be focused on, on, on the Lord. Food, clothing, shelter, jobs, careers, accomplishments, entertainment, entitlements. All these things, Jesus said, do the Gentiles seek. They seek to obtain them so that they can consume them. Upon their lusts. 
But these things should have little value to the child of God. They need to be, as I said, in perspective and in the right priority. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, when I, was, when I was a young man at home, when I was a young boy at home, I didn't worry about those things. Did you? I didn't wake up in the morning when I was seven or eight years old and wonder, oh, I wonder what I'm going to, what am I going to wear today? Oh, man, I wonder what I'm going to eat today. I didn't worry about those things. Why? Because my daddy knew I needed them and my daddy was going to provide them for me. And the same is true concerning our Heavenly Father. We don't need to worry about those things. Now, we need to do our part. As I said, we need to work. We need to labor. We need to go out there and do everything we have to do to, to make sure we have the provisions for our family. But, but we need to remember, they don't come, they, they truly don't come by our efforts. They come by the grace of God. And we need to keep our hearts and minds focused. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Keep your heart focused on, on being an, uh, an honest and hard-working employee and, and a good and faithful friend and, and, a, and a good and, and dependable husband and father. Concentrate on these things. Focus on these things. And serving the Lord and all these other things take care of themselves. So first, I think this hour that Jesus was talking about is, is a time when we become too involved in the cares of this world. But secondly, I also think this hour can be when we become too enticed by the pleasures of sin. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, we read, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, I've, I've, had, I've heard preachers over the year stand there and say, Now, I'll acknowledge that sin is fun, that there's pleasure in sin. I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to acknowledge that. You can, you can acknowledge that if you want to. I, I, I look back over my life, and even when I was unsaved, I, I really found no pleasure in sin. And, and I, I think we've got to be careful here not to, not to make sin seem like something enticing and alluring. That's what the, by the way, that's what the, anti, the spirit of the Antichrist, that's what the devil wants us to believe. And, and, and to the old nature and to the old flesh, maybe it's appealing. But I don't understand how a child of God could ever say that sin is pleasant. When we know the, the cost of sin and when we know the price for sin and when we know the destruction of sin... What I want to really focus on here in this passage of Scripture is where it says that Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, what is exactly meant by this term, the recompense of the reward? Of the reward? By this is meant that Moses so loved the Lord and so loved his people that he, Moses, considered suffering the suffering that he must endure as fair exchange for the deliverance of Israel and their inheritance of the promised land. What, 
What husband in this room tonight wouldn't lay down his life for his wife or his children? I'm sure, I'm sure none of us would, would, even, would even hesitate. If someone ever approached my family to harm them, I would, I would, I would with not, without any thought, I would, I would stand in the way and I would sacrifice my life. Mothers, same thing. Somebody came to try to hurt one of your children, you mothers would, would give every ounce of strength in your body to protect that child. And th- this is what Moses is saying. He, would, he, 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 was, he esteemed the sacrifices to benefit God's people. He, he, he just esteemed them greater riches than anything he could obtain from the world. He said it's fair exchange. That's what, that's what this term is literally talking about. The Apostle Paul, he felt the same way. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul considered you and me those he did not even know. He considered the glory that we would share through his suffering, and he esteemed that it was, that it was better than anything else, that nothing could be compared to the glory that would, be, that would be shown in us. All the suffering he had to endure, everything he had to endure to spread the gospel, to get the gospel to, to all of the world, everything he had to do to serve the Lord was worth it all. We sing that song, It Will Be Worth It All, when we see Jesus. Well, it, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus, but can I tell you, it will be worth it all even right now. It will be worth it all. Today, the spiritual foundation in America has, has, has corrupt, been corrupted. It's based upon health, wealth, and prosperity. It, it, it's, it's shifted its focus not to what's best for you, but what's best for me. The spiritual focus in America is taking care of numero uno, making sure that I'm happy. And if I'm not happy, then nobody should be happy. And, and, and unfortunately, that's pretty much the gist of, of the preaching in this country today. It's founded in satisfying and glorifying self. And far too many, far too many people have fallen for this bill of goods. The majority of believers today do not feel making the sacrifices necessary to live a disciplined life, one that glorifies the Lord. They do not feel that that is a fair exchange. They feel their life is far too valuable to sacrifice for the sake of others. Let them, let them take care of themselves, they say. And that, that, that attitude even permeates many churches today, many of our churches People see others in need and, and don't lift a finger to help them or, or, or don't have any genuine concern, but they're more concerned with satisfying their flesh and pleasing themselves. They feel their life is far too valuable to sacrifice. They rather make sure they are content and you worry about yourself. This, this hour, this kind of hour that Jesus said in which we're not going to be ready for his coming. It's a, it's a time when we become too involved in the cares of this world. And far too many people today are far too involved in the cares of this world and not involved enough in the kingdom of God. It's a time when we become too enticed 
by the pleasures of sin. It's a time when we seek to satisfy ourselves and don't have any concern for others. Unlike Moses, who, who gave up all the riches of Egypt, who gave up the palace, who gave up uh, the, being the, the king of the kingdom, gave it all up so that, so that his, his efforts could benefit God's people. Paul, who, who laid his life a, a, a ransom, who gave himself, gave up his life and, 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 and burned it up and used it up spreading the gospel around the world. That's what we need tonight. That's what our city needs tonight. That's what our community needs. That's what, that's what our state needs. That's what our nation needs. One that glorifies the Lord. What kind of hour is this? It's, it's an hour when men have all but forgotten God. And have forgotten the power and benefit of prayer. Now I'm thankful for the people that come out to our Wednesday night prayer meetings. I really am. And, and praise the Lord for everyone that comes. But can I tell you something? That's only about one third of, of our membership. Only about one third of our membership attends our churchwide prayer meetings. And praise the Lord for those that do. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's not a good thing. But where are the rest? Where is the concern? Where is the heart for people? Where is the, where is the broken heart for men and women and boys and girls who know not the Lord? In Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 through 41, we read, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Lord came to Peter, and Peter's asleep. He said, Peter, can't, can't you even stay awake for one hour to pray? Are you so unconcerned that, that you, can't even, you can't even stay awake to pray? And I, and I wonder, where's the concern of our church members who... Who forsake and abandon a time of prayer. The sad truth is. If we are not willing to come together to pray. We're probably not faithful to pray alone either. And the result of this is. Across our nation. In our homes. In our churches. The foundations are being destroyed. And what can the righteous do? Well we can. We can watch, we can pray and be ready. But then, secondly, I want you to see that we can work while there is time. Not only, not, only, not only should we be busy praying and watching, but we should be busy working as well. Work while there is time. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, we read, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Now, Jesus warns us that there is a night coming. Most expectantly, Jesus is referring to the night of death and of the grave. And, and it is clearly understood that there is no work nor device in the grave whether we go. We have a finite amount of time allotted to us. And we must be diligent to work while we can. We dare not waste the time the Lord has given us. So certainly we are facing the night of death. You, are not, you and I, uh, if the Lord tarries his coming, we are going to face the grave. We are going to die. Our time is finite. 
and, and we are told to redeem the time, to buy back the time and use it wisely for the Lord. But there are other urgencies, to be certain, other nights that we face, and most, most predominantly in our lives is sin. Sin is ever-present with us. In Romans chapter 7, we read from verses 18 through 21, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And Paul reminds us that sin is ever present in our lives. And with it comes the threat of our undoing as God's children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul states, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Do you see that? Paul was concerned. He was concerned that this ever-present sin in his flesh would someday overtake him and would someday cause him to become a castaway for Christ. Now, if the Apostle Paul had to be concerned about that, I know I have to be. Paul here is, none of us can boast that we have attained to perfection. It is a matter of discipline. Paul stated, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. And I want to, I want to note here that Paul is not referring to his natural body. He's not talking about keeping under it by watchings and fastings and labors. That's one, of the mis- that's one of the missteps of so many believers today. They are working so diligently at controlling their physical bodies that they forget about the spiritual man within them, the new creature, the new creation. So concerned with, with following all the rules. Well, you know what? If those rules are so important, when, when we get new church members, we better give them a, a Berean Baptist Church rule book, amen? We better hand them a book and say, okay, here they are, 275 rules, and you got to follow each one. If you break one, you're, you're out of here. We don't do that because those rules are not that important. They're governed by the heart, and if the heart is right with God, then the rules will be, will be followed. Paul's not talking about here keeping under his natural body. He's talking about the new nature, the new creation. He's talking about making no provision for the flesh. He's talking about crucifying the flesh uh, with the affections thereof. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Let's all go to the book of Galatians. Chapter 5. And we'll begin reading it at verse number 16. We read here, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes, This I say then, Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here we are. All the things you worry about in your body are going to be taken care of if you learn to walk in the spirit. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You can't, not only can you not avoid sin, but half the time you can't even walk right with God. Because of this battle within you. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now let's skip on down to verse number uh, 24. 
And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. You see there, he said, he said that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. We're to, we're to, we're to put away those things, mortify the flesh. He's referring here to the new nature, making no provision for the flesh. We face, we face the night of death. We face the night of sin. But then also there is a night of persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, we read, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Jesus said, there's a night coming. You need to work now while there's, while there's time. You need to walk Work now while there's day, because there's a, there's night there's the night of the grave. Death is approaching you. You will not live forever. There's the night of sin. Sin is ever present with you, and it's ever a threat to you to to overcome you and overtake you. And he said, "There's a night of persecution. Men will hate you. They will revile you. You will suffer for me. If you want to live for Jesus in this world, you will suffer persecution." And the truth of this has caused many believers to forsake their labors. For the Lord, choosing rather to blend in with the world. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't actually believe that most people that blend in hate God. I don't think they hate God at all. I'm not here to judge their heart and say they don't love the Lord, but I, I will tell you this. They're doing it because they're not willing to stand out and face the persecution that comes along with being a child of God. And by the way, let me just tell you parents something. If you are a blender, I'm going I'm to coin a new term tonight, Pastor. If you're a blender, you're doing a disservice to your children. Because they need to see that you're not afraid to stand for the Lord. Amen? How do you ever expect your children are going to have the courage to stand for Christ if you don't have the courage to stand for Christ? We, we attempt to escape persecution by blending in. However, this is not the will of the Lord for you, for, concerning you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, very familiar verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't, don't conform to the world. Don't blend in. Be different. Be distinct. Take a stand for the Lord and let it be known that you are a child of God. You know, over the years, I, I, I've never had, I, people know where I stand. And I'm not setting myself up as some great example, please. But people know where I stand. I, I make it known. I've, I've said it before in, in messages I've preached. Don't criticize my pastor in front of me. Don't do it. If we're in my car and you're criticizing my pastor, somebody's getting out. And guess who it's going to be? Not going to be me, it's my car. If you're driving your car and you're criticizing my pastor or my God or my church, I'm going to tell you, stop this car. And I'm going to get out. Because we have got to take a stand. 
We've got to be willing to face that person. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what, that's what Moses was talking about. The, the recompense of the reward. It was worth it. Paul said, it's, it's, that it's, the suffering I face is not to be compared to what I'm going to have in the presence of the Lord. Moses said, I, I'll take reproach over the kingdom of Egypt, over the throne of Egypt, because suffering with the people of God is worth the reward. And that's what we need tonight. Christians, Christians who, are, who, are, who, who believe that it's worth the, the cost to do right. Takes us back to Moses. It takes, consider Nehemiah. I'd like you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm trying to hurry. You're not listening fast enough. That's the problem. You're too slow in listening and, and it's making me run behind. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 18. We read here, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn. There's the persecution. Nehemiah is trying to get the people of God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to build the wall, to labor for the Lord. And, and there's, here comes the ridicule and the mockery and the persecution. And despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Nehemiah led the people to do the work God had given them to do. And he did so with urgency. And he did so with determination. And Jesus in John chapter 9 said, I must work the works of him that sent me. He didn't say I should work. He didn't say I think I'll work. He, di- he didn't say I want to work. He said I must work. He must. And you and I must work the works of him that sent us. What can the righteous do? Well, we can, we can watch and be ready. Let us be men and women of prayer, men and women of, of, of discipline in our lives. We can work while there is time. Labor. Get, get your priorities right. Get your focuses right. And spend your time and your effort in this life furthering the kingdom of God. But then thirdly, what can the righteous do? We can wait. Wait upon the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read from verses 28 through 31. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now to wait upon the Lord here implies that our relationship with God, it compares our relationship with God, I should say, to that of a child to his parents. A, parent, a, child, uh, a child's relationship with his parents is one of obedience. A, a child strives to honor his parents. He trusts his parents. He's dependable upon his parents for provision and for protection. In other words, they wait upon their parents. 
And you and I, as, as children to parents, we need to wait upon the Lord. We need to live our life to his glory. We live our life to his honor. Live our life in obedience. Live our life in sacrifice. Live our life uh, focused and, uh, and understanding the will of the Lord for it. It also, this, this relationship here, this, this passage of scripture also compares itself to the relationship between a servant and his master. The servant, the servant serves the master. He labors to the master. Why? For his pleasing. To fulfill their labors and, and to receive their rewards. To be paid. Right? You, you, you're, you're dependable for your employer. You're faithful to your employer. You're respectful to your employer. Why? Because if you're not, you're going to lose your job. He's going to fire you. He's going to dock your pay. You're not, going to, you're not going to get the rewards you seek. And when we wait upon the Lord, all these things play into our lives. By waiting upon the Lord, we will not grow weary. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Have you ever become weary in serving God? By waiting upon the Lord, we will not quit on God. I've become weary over the years. I have. I've, I've, I've gotten pretty tired few times but there's a difference between becoming weary and quitting God's people of God don't quit 2nd Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5 through 8 Paul writes but watch thou in all things endure afflictions do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry now listen what Paul says here for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith. I wonder if all of us are going to be able to stand in God's presence in that day and say that. Are we going to be able to stand there and say, I fought a good fight, Lord. I finished my course. I did all that you called me to do, Lord. I kept the faith throughout all all things. I endured afflictions. I endured sufferings. I, I learned how to be abased and I learned how to abound. But in all things, I learned contentment and joy and peace. Are we going to be able to say that when we stand before God? I hope I can. I, I don't know that I will. But I hope I can. And I strive every day of my life to live my life in such a manner that I will be able to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And this should be our drive. This is what the righteous can do. We can, we can strive in our daily lives to wait upon the Lord, to trust him for all things, to depend upon him for all things, and to honor and to glorify and to obey him in all things. Every instant in our life, stopping and, and praying and, 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 and making sure this is what God wants me to do. I've seen so many men Quit on God. I, I couldn't even tell you in the last 32 years of ministry. I know pastor could say the same. I can't even, I can't even begin to estimate how many people I saw come and go. Quit on God. When the multitudes quit, in, in, when Christ was preaching, when the multitudes departed, when they went away, he asked his disciples a question. 
In John chapter 6, we read, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Things aren't exactly what you'd call peachy keen in our nation tonight. The foundations have been, have been sh- shaken in our nation, both spiritually and morally. And if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But let me ask you that same question tonight. Will you go away? Will you also, as Jesus asked his 12, will you also go away? Are you, are you going to live such an undisciplined life and that ultimately one day that sin that's ever present with us will overtake you and will cause you to fall and to quit on God? What is your answer to this question tonight? I think we can pretty much say that the foundations in America have been destroyed. However, we can also say that there are still thousands of believers. Just as, as the Lord told Elijah, I have 7,000 souls in, 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 in Israel that have not bowed the knee, have not kissed the image of Baal. We can say tonight that there are still thousands of believers, just like us, who have not bowed their knee. So there are some things that we can do. The foundations have been destroyed, but there are some things we can do. We can watch and be ready. We can work while there is time, and we can wait upon the Lord. I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will take this message and will stir your hearts and stir my heart as well and cause all of us here to live our lives compliant to the will of God and submitted to his power and authority. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we've had. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that everything I said would have been exactly what you wanted me to say. And Lord, I I pray the Holy Spirit that you would strengthen us and prepare us for the work that we must do. Use us in in this community. Father, we know that the sacrifices and the labors that we, will, that we will put forth from this place are worth it all. If just one soul in this town is, is turned to Christ and it was worth all the effort of all those who suffered and labored over the years. So we ask you to use us. Help us tonight, Father, to live our lives to your glory and to your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.